John, coming off of this conversation with Carly, I am inspired to take another look at a content repurposing SOP. What are your thoughts? Yeah, absolutely. Carly Case is the CEO and founder of RevSpark. You know, her, her job with her business is really to help startups scale their content strategies. And as we go through this conversation, Rich, we got our own personal consultation on B2B content, marketing, and sales conversion tactics. I thought it was fantastic. And she talks about a minimum viable effort to get results, which is absolutely excellent. Who wants to put in more work to get less from it? And I don't want our listeners to have to wait to get the free gift. So I'll tell you right now, here is the spoiler. Go to RevSpark.com, R-E-V-V-Spark.com slash entrepreneurs. You don't know how to spell entrepreneurs? Look that up. Slash entrepreneurs. You're going to love the free gift that Carly gives. Here she is. Carly, welcome to the Entrepreneurs United podcast this morning. Thanks so much, Rich and John. Really glad to be here today. Yeah, we're happy to have you. If you could kick us off and tell us a little bit about what you currently do today and why you're so passionate about it to get us started. Yeah, absolutely. So I run a content agency called RevSpark. And what we do is we help B2B businesses with great content and copywriting that convinces and converts their audience to the next stage in the funnel. We basically help companies close deals, upsell customers, and expand their service and product offering. And tell me about why that's a passion of yours. Why'd you choose to do this? What's some of your story behind that? Yeah, absolutely. So my whole life, I've really loved storytelling. Um, and uh, when I was very young, I think about three years old, I started um, drawing my own uh, books, essentially. I loved books. I loved the stories that they that they had in them. And so I loved drawing and I would dictate to my mother, here's what I wanted to say, please write it down because I couldn't yet write at that age. And so there were pretty mundane stories about going to the grocery store, buying eight lobsters. I liked lobsters for some reason and my mom never bought lobsters. Um, and I just really loved the idea of telling a story, taking somebody from a starting point to an ending point. And that's really where my love of story came from, from a, that very young age and maybe being denied lobster at the grocery store. Um, but my whole life, I've really loved taking someone's story and making it compelling in some way to be able to speak to their audience and the people that they want to engage. So really for me, my passion is storytelling. And so nowadays, it, what I do is a lot of visuals, words, and layout that helps take people from where they are to where they need to be. Mm -hmm. And in storytelling, and I, I don't know how theoretically versed you are in it, but I'd love to know in storytelling, what are some of the components of storytelling that you find to be absolutely vital as it relates to marketing? Yeah, absolutely. So Really, in storytelling, we all know about uh, Joseph Campbell's The Hero's Journey and the various stages that you take somebody through in order to create that compelling story that engages people. It's part of our DNA almost. It's very primal. And as humans, we really relate to the idea of that reluctant hero moving through the stages of a journey. Sometimes, in uh, especially with B2B, you really don't have the chance to be able to create that whole hero's journey story. And so what's essential in B2B to at least get the core and the important part that is going to help connect with an audience is being able to put yourself into your audience's shoes and be able to reflect their desires, their needs, even if their needs are unstated, being able to anticipate and always being able to answer their questions and objections ahead of time and weave that into everything that you do, every piece of collateral they see, every uh, element of your brand that is out there on the web and given to your potential customer. Can you give an example? And you're welcome to name names if it's a positive reference. If it's a negative one, don't. Uh, or you don't need to name names, but I'd love to get an example of a client who you worked with. And if you could describe roughly what their marketing was like before working with you, 
And how did working with you transition them to more successful marketing? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So we do a variety of of different marketing and it's full funnel. So it's not just front end for lead acquisition. It's also to help the sales process during sales enablement. And then, of course, customer marketing where we're upselling and expanding the account. Um, so one customer that we worked with was Image Gloves, and they produce this really cool technology. It's actually uh, printing on the back of uh, nitrile gloves. So um, this technology is very, very new in the market. Um, and they were really looking to find what are the companies that they can sell in, in volume to with this new technology. And so they were essentially trying to test out the uh, U.S. market to figure out where do they have that product market fit because uh, you know it's a disposable PPE but at the same time it's able to get your brand out there and really um really help people connect with your brand and so we worked with them when they were very early stage and they still were trying to figure out where where do we actually fit and so one of our strategies was really going to market through social media because they had had um a small amount of inbound uh questions from tattoo shops and uh, beauty, health, barbershops, uh, estheticians. Because in that industry, it's very essential to get your artwork out there because that's potential business, as well as to get your logo out there in front of your customers at all times because it creates this more high-end experience for their clientele. So uh, for them, what we did was we created this comprehensive social media strategy that utilized organic social media on both Facebook and Instagram uh, and boosted posts and ads. So it was a three-pronged strategy and we worked with them for about uh, four months. And uh, within the first nine weeks of shifting to this strategy where we were running all of their socials and then also uh, working the comments so that we're not just saying, thanks for the comment, we're actually trying to drive sales back to the store. Um, in nine weeks, we were able to drive over $36,000 of gross revenue. And so this really proved out their market that they really needed to focus in on the health, beauty, and tattoo market. Um, so we were able to get some traction there. And they had been trying all different kinds of markets to figure out where do we fit, who's going to connect with it. But, uh, but on social, talking to health and beauty and really trying to take them through that, you know, initiating uh, with the brand and then knocking down objections, why it's a great idea to get your artwork and your brand in front of your clientele, how it creates a higher end experience. All of that helped walk people down the funnel to the point of conversion. So that's a customer that we're really proud of. Uh, we talk about a lot um, because it's really proof that organic plus paid social can work for various products in certain industries where we're trying to prove out that product market fit. You know, you dropped something in there that I think is often overlooked that's really important. And I want to understand more about you use the word working comments. And I think you're right. I see on social media all the time. Somebody makes a positive comment or or negative or any type of comment. And they're like, hey, thanks for your comment. And that's basically it. When you say you were working comments for them. Can you describe what is working comments mean and describe it to the point where maybe if our listeners wanted to try to do it themselves, they would have a clue or two about what that is? Yeah, absolutely. So we train all of our social media people to also have a sales mindset when it comes to interacting with an audience. So we're essentially being uh, brand ambassadors in a way. We are we're still using the the brands, um, the brand social. Uh, we're not interacting as individuals. But when someone leaves a comment that indicates some level of interest, and so we want to try to engage them. So if they say, "Oh, uh, like for instance, someone." Someone said, oh, I, lo I love the, the way the logo looks on the black uh, when we put up a, an image of a black glove with a specific logo on it. Um, what we would do is we would say, uh, that's awesome. You can, we're actually running a special now where you can get 30% off. Click here and, and you can or go to this, um, this area of the site and you can get it. Um, or you can actually um, get, a, get a larger case order and save more so that you don't ever run out. So it's always bringing the benefits back to comments um, and really, really not acting um, in kind of a, a weird or aggressive way, but at least not only um, saying thank you for the comment, we appreciate it, we see you, but also 
hey, here's something else that might benefit you, or this might help your company. And so what our people do is we sometimes click through the comments to see the company who's making them or the people who's making them. And then we might say, hey, this would look great on your Instagram. We see you have a lot of followers, would really recommend um, getting that. We have a, we have, um, we can do a, a free a free trial or a free print for you so that you can just try it out and see how your viewers respond. And so we'd always be trying to drive back to business. That's really the goal. Early, I want to kind of re come back to all the points you just made in that story that you shared with that customer and congratulations for what you guys did for them. You. And, you know, to me, the two sections you covered were first off, you know, digital marketing strategy, right? You find the market you want to go after you get a social media strategy together, you boost the ads, you drive traffic to see your stuff, right? The, tra the traffic you want, right? The, the market you're looking for to see your stuff. That's the kind of the, the initial digital marketing strategy. Then it kind of moves to more of the sales strategy, which is anybody interacting with you as a prospect, you're working the comments, you're knocking down objections through some of the things that you're doing, um, and you're converting them to a sale. That's really the sales mindset part that you talked about. The one part I feel like was missing from that story, though, that you, we started off with in today's conversation was storytelling. What about the content part? What about the generation of content that was in these ads to begin with that you guys paid to, to boost in your social media strategy that generated sales opportunities? What about that part? Because it seems to me like you have a content uh, mindset yourself in terms of the hero's journey and what kind of content you should be putting out. And I think that's where B2B businesses really, really struggle is, um, you know, they can hire a firm like yourselves to help them with the social media strategy and that. But then when it comes to content, whether the entrepreneurial class is not that creative, maybe in sometimes their businesses, but they lack the knowledge of, okay, what kind of content should we be putting out? So they just put out stuff. Help me understand how, Entrepreneurs can be more creative in creating really good content that people want to engage with. Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. And the answer is it always starts with your customer. And so with this particular client, we actually uh, had to work with them to really understand their existing customers, the ones in the health and beauty tattoo that were already they gotten some inbound from. So they gotten some interest. So we needed to understand what was the buying process? What were the touch points that moved them along the journey? And so for mm -hmm. anybody out there who's trying to figure out what kind of content should they put out there, they should look to their existing customer base and how they acquire them in the first place. What were the touch points that that customer went through? And so if a company has no customers, you're just going to have to guess. It's just kind of a testing process. But if you have even one or two, the sample size is small, but you can at least understand what their process or what the process was. And so you can talk to them and talk about really have these customer interviews to understand what did they go through? What would have been better? What did they need to know? What did they need to see that they didn't? What created friction? And so that is your starting point, understanding what were the steps that somebody went through to become a customer? And from them, what did they want to see that they didn't see? And that helps create your content strategy with, okay, this customer said that they really wanted to see other customers like them. They wanted to see those stories. Awesome. Now you know that you need to bring those stories in, those snippets about customer feature or client feature or case study, or we were able to do this for this segment of the market and bring that in earlier to your content journey to make sure you're, you're serving up that need. And you have to continue these customer interviews throughout the whole process. Uh, a lot of businesses go to a market where they, maybe they've talked to their customer base once, but we advocate really doing it repeatedly, having at least four-week cycles that you're talking to your customer base and really asking them, hey, I'd really love to understand your journey. What did you go through to get to the point of signing the contract or buying our product. We really want to help other businesses like you. And so we want to understand what did you go through? What didn't happen? What did happen that was good? What, can, what should we have done more of? And those questions will help develop that content journey, that story that you need to be telling to, other, to acquire other customers in that segment.
Okay. I, I get the starting point and I think it's fantastic. And I think unless uh, a small business brings on somebody like yourself, the chances are probably less than 1% are serving their customers every four weeks to find out about that journey. So that's a really good tip to be like, why aren't you finding out what this journey is? So let's say I do that. And I find out that along the customer's journey, uh, they would have liked to have had more testimonials of uh, other customers that you know purchased this service and who had a phenomenal experience. And uh, they wanted to have more questions answered. There wasn't enough information on some of their questions. Okay, we now know that. Now what? What, what, what type of content? How often are we putting it out? Where are we putting it out? I guess I'm going a little bit into the strategy of where we're putting it out there for a second. But the generation of content, uh, I would, I'm led to believe through the storytelling methodology you're talking about, it's more than, hey, Carly, here's a testimonial my customer just sent me. Go, get me leads. Yeah, yeah. And that's the thing with our attention spans today. You can't just do things once and assume that people will remember. People are very busy. You have to definitely, in your content strategy, have repetition as part of it. That's absolutely true. Yeah. However, when it comes to how often do people want to see this, how how many times does it need to be out there, a lot of that can again be gotten from these customer interviews to hear hey, you know, maybe they maybe they wanted to see a testimonial. Um, and then you would say, well, you know, um, we have a testimonials on your on our website. Um, did you did you see them? You know, what was what was the issue? Did you miss them somehow? And you kind of get a sense you're able to ask, well, how often would you would seem annoying to see the same testimonial over and over and different people they will they may say different things but you can at least get an average of someone would be like all right if i saw it about four or five times in a week i would think that was too much you kind of start to get a sense with those early interviews that you can then test out in your marketing afterwards and then up the amount or reduce the amount depending on what you're seeing for uh, engagement rate um, with social media we really go by engagement rate and inbound inbound requests as well as a closed one business um, rather than uh, likes, for instance. We really look at the comment volume. Uh, so you can find the information from your audience and then it's just a question of testing. We're very much a fan of doing things that are effective, but not in volume. So we want to find minimum viable for all businesses so that they're not having to just exhaust themselves on this churning content hamster wheel. Um, and so really that is going to be key in finding that sweet spot that works, ex works exactly right for your audience. So in the beginning, we might be doing more volume just to test to see what's the appropriate amount of putting out testimonials or case studies, um, because really there's going to be a sweet spot for every audience. Yeah. And I think we're, um, that, that, that really helps me understand the framework to what you're looking for. Um, but what is more effective, I guess, is it depends on each business. It depends on each customer avatar that's looking to purchase and what they want to see. I understand, I understand that it's a it depends kind of answer, right? It really depends on a lot of factors. But in terms of what you're seeing, maybe, um, as an example... Uh, okay, Carly, I have a testimonial. It's uh, two sentences by Mr. and Mrs. Jones. And you may say, John, that's great. But us putting a post on LinkedIn regarding your Mr. and Mrs. Jones uh, testimonial is not that strong. Can we get an interview with them and get like a video segment of them? And, and of the interview, hour long interview or 30 minute interview, we'll be able to grab 30 segments of that into short 30 second clips and we'll spread those out once a week over the next 60 days. And by the way, when we get 10 customers to do that, we'll come in for a day and we'll get all this content created. How are you curating content versus, um, the, I think that's where the entrepreneur really struggles, is, is the curation of finding content that can connect with their avatar. So let's pretend we, we know what the avatar is and we know what we need, what they, how often they want to see things. Talk to me about the curation of content, because I think that's an area that entrepreneurs really struggle with is, is how to curate content that connects. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so that actually gets into our conversion content system, um, which is something that we apply to each business. It's strategy that we've developed over, um, for me, over 20 years of working in marketing and then last seven in sales enablement as well. And what it is, is, is a system that really lays out uh, for every piece or for every channel what the strategy is and how many pieces of content. And then, uh, to your point, really advises creating a video that is a longer uh, form uh, piece of content that can be chopped up into smaller videos or pull quotes can be used in images. Words can be pulled together into a testimonial or a quote, a blog post can be developed. So there's all kinds of different pieces of content that can be created from that one source piece. And that's what the conversion content system is. And a lot of it really hinges on developing your content repurposing SOP. And that's a standard operating procedure for your business that says every time we do a podcast interview, we're going to create uh, three poll quotes, one blog post, four small videos, and you have this, this thing that you run, a standard operating procedure, an SOP, that you run every single time that you are on a podcast, for instance. Um, you define, you know, what is the source piece? Here is what we do every time. You actually have a step-by-step, -step, and then here's the image sizes, here's the length of the poll quotes, here's examples of what it should look like, and then you hand it to somebody who is uh, part of your team or an intern or a VA or someone who can help produce that for you so you are not overwhelmed and you can easily create over a month's worth of content uh, to show up where you need to from a single video. Awesome. Rich, you didn't know we were getting business consulting from Carly today, did you? No. So repurposing SOP, that is what I was looking for. That is spot on the money, uh, a perfect way to frame kind of, because I kept thinking, okay, well, you know, entrepreneurs are always like, well, I think I got to take a little video of this. And I got to take a little video of that. I got to take a little video of this. And, and, and as you put it in the, in the framework of a repurposing SOP, it's a lot easier for an entrepreneur to digest. It's like, okay, um, let's figure out once a month how we can capture a little bit of a longer form component of something related to our avatar and their buying mechanisms. And we're going to take that one thing. And to your point, every time we do this long form video, because the customer won't know, we're going to do three testimonial short clips. We're going to do four quotes with the picture with the picture of the customer. We're going to do this. And to a certain degree, that's kind of what we're doing with our podcast in reality, right? We're going to take this podcast with you, Carly, and we're going to have a, a repurposing SOP where our team's going to cut this down and do pictures of you with quotes you said and, and those kinds of things and spread it out over a whole week that your podcast comes out versus just put one post out there and say, we did it. Yeah, yeah. And podcasters like yourselves, you already do this, but some other businesses, small businesses, entrepreneurs may not yet have that mindset. And the easier you can make it for yourself, the better. I mean, think Steve Jobs only wore black turtlenecks because it reduced the amount of decisions he had to make on a given day because he didn't want to decide what he had to wear. So when you create content, again, have it already set up that when we do this, we do that. So it's very clear. You don't have to make any more decisions. All you do is you hand it off to someone who is trained in how to define what needs to be pulled out of the content. And sometimes you might have to provide a little guidance. They might send to you, hey, there was a great quote at 554 at 1102 and at 1232 in the in the runtime of the video which one should i use you might have to let them know but really there's very little work that you have to do once you have that sop and you can just run it every single time love it love it and and i, I while we're on this whole content piece you, i know you specialize in a lot of b2b mm -hmm. um two part question one is where is the best B2B spot to promote your content today based on what you're seeing? And the second part is, I know it depends. I understand it depends. In general, is it a post one time a day on that and just boost it and put your all energy into those comments and everything else? Or is it like Gary Vaynerchuk? Like, no, 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 21 pieces a day. Let's go just inundate the market. Where do you fit on both of those? Where and how often is generally the rule of thumb for you? 
Yeah, yeah. Gary Vee is a machine. So um, he started way back when doing just volume. Um, mm -hmm. So I would never recommend doing that today. Um, for the average business, if you're selling B2B, you obviously need to be on LinkedIn. And LinkedIn, really, a page is not going to get any organic reach. So we advise against using using your page as a central part of your strategy, simply because it's a billboard, right? There needs to be some content there, maybe once a month, but it's not really going to be key. What's going to be key on LinkedIn is the CEO um, showing up, your thought leaders showing up and posting on their profile. That is the way to get organic reach. And what's key to posting every day I would recommend five days a week, so every weekday, getting it out there early in the day so that you, I'm on the West Coast, so we tr I try to post uh, when it's about 6 a.m. Um, <laughs> for, for East Coast. Mm -hmm. And you always want to be showing up as the CEO, as the voice and face of your business, sharing thought leadership. And for every four posts that you share that's advice, guidance, uh, learnings from the industry, the fifth post is going to be self-promotional. So we always use that uh, four to one uh, ratio um, so that we aren't overwhelming the, the channel with self-promotional stuff. No one likes to see tons and tons of self-promotional. We want to help first. So in companies that we work with where we do uh, LinkedIn CEO uh, ghostwriting, we do that for their profiles. Um, what's key is not only being helpful first and then asking for uh, the doing the promotional stuff, but also the interaction, 10 minutes before you post and 10 minutes after, because there's a certain window that's going to give your LinkedIn posts a boost. Um, and so interacting with people, leaving helpful comments on their content, 10 minutes before you post and 10 minutes after that 20 minute window is really, really key to working the LinkedIn algorithm in 2023 um, and making sure that your post has legs, it reaches the amount of people you need it to reach and then also not commenting on your post until at least one hour later. So a lot of people comment on their own posts to increase reach and help kind of gain the algorithm, but doing it within that first hour window is not a good idea. It tends to kill reach. Wow. Holy moly. I want to validate a bunch of those tips you gave, and thank you for that. The okay. CEO posting every day, post early, and on those posts have a ratio of four items or pieces of content around thought leadership, and then one that is self-promotion or promotion of the business or product or service. And to maximize reach, don't comment on your own for at least one hour. And the interact 10 minutes before your post and 10 minutes after, just to clarify, that's interacting just on LinkedIn on other people's content. Is that correct? Correct. And uh, what we do is we develop, help companies develop target lists of their target buyers, um, as well as influencers and um, people who offer complementary services uh, to what they offer. And making sure that that group is the ones whose posts you're commenting on and liking. Uh, we recommend not thumbs upping, but clapping or smiling or doing a laugh or doing or care. There's different uh, reactions, but thumbs up uh, gets less, less reach than the other one. So we recommend a different reaction um, or we do it for uh, the company. Uh, on your target audience, so your potential buyers, your complimentary services, or your influencers' posts in that 10-minute window before and after. So I want to clarify this. Just I want to make sure I got this, Rich, fantastic, fantastic catch, because I, I did not catch that at all. What I think we're saying is before you do your one week of post in the morning, Take 10 minutes to go to other companies or individuals that are potential prospects or related services and, and like, not like thumbs up, like other things and comment on their stuff. When it hits the 10 minute mark, make your post on your page, according to everything Rich just said, and then spend the next 10 minutes going around and doing the same thing you did in the first 10 minutes. And that's going to boost the algorithm of your organic post in the first place. So more people see it. Did I get that right? 
Absolutely. Yeah. We use a lot of schedulers for what we do. So we always advise um, taking some time uh, as the CEO, if you're doing it yourself, to kind of batch your content, um, maybe spend an hour writing it, and then schedule it out for the entire week so that it always goes live at, say, 6.30 a.m., uh, your time or whatever. And then from 6.20 a.m. to 6.40 a.m., just be interacting on other people's posts. Your post goes live. And then when people click over to your profile to see, hey, this person just commented on my post. Who are they? The first thing they're going to see is your most recent post that is ideally thought leadership and helpful content for your industry. And that starts to create that know, like, and trust factor to where they will follow you. They will like your content and that feeds the algorithm so that your next post will show up in their feed. So you want to show up for your audience and you want to do it very consistently uh, five days a week. And just the way the LinkedIn algorithm works, these kind of tricks are a great way to be able to be visible uh, and to be branded as an authority in your space. It is actually not a huge amount of work. It sounds like it, um, but it is not a huge amount of work because the amount of visibility you will get and the number of inbound DMs you will get on LinkedIn because of that effort um, will honestly pay for itself. Wow, that sounds like an absolute cheat sheet on how to leverage LinkedIn. And I'm assuming, Carly, if somebody who's listening to this says, hey, that sounds great, but I really don't want to come up with the content and I really don't want to do the interacting for 20 minutes a day, uh, that's where you would step in and say, hey, great, uh, I can do that. You could do this yourself, but if you don't want to do it yourself, that's what we do really well. Is that where you're positioned in the marketplace? Yeah, yeah, that is that is one thing that we do. We create great copywriting. So we work with uh, CEOs and business leaders who are too busy to do it themselves, where we try to make it uh, the least amount of burden for them as possible. So once a month, we have an, an hour interview time where we talk with them and we ask various questions about the industry various uh, questions about events, latest customer wins, et cetera. And we try to get one hour of video content, like I mentioned before. And then from that, we develop all of the posts, which are going to be about 20 posts a month from that. And then we send to the CEO for approval. We set it to go live. And then we also will interact as them if they want that. Some CEOs do not. Some CEOs really want it to be them interacting. And that's fine, too. Um, so we do offer a variety of different ways that we can help uh, CEOs show up on LinkedIn. Yeah, thanks for clarifying that. You know, you had mentioned Gary V, And his philosophy is just put out a bunch of content. And I mean, he even has a, a post himself on how to create 64 pieces of content a day that he teaches people how to do that, right? And it seems like you are doing almost the exact opposite where he's very like, hey, just keep blasting the shotgun and you're going to get people's attention. You're like, let's get the rifle and let's be really deliberate about where we pull the trigger and where this thing goes. What? Why? Like, what is your reply to people who go, but I thought Gary Vee makes a ton of money and there are a ton of people that follow him who make a ton of money. And uh, I was just kind of starting to get into his stuff. And here comes Carly saying, nope, that's wrong. Why? Yeah, yeah. In 2008, that was a great strategy. <laughs> that was awesome way back when. It is now almost 2023. And there are so many people out there. There is so much noise that I just don't recommend being part of the noise. Once upon a time, it was the noisiest person gets the most attention. But now it, we want to actually focus in on our real true audience. We don't want to just create content for creating content's sake and just blanket the airwaves with ourselves. Um, we really want to be effective for our audience. And there are very few audiences that respond to tons and tons and tons of content. There are some. Um, if that is your audience, then uh, I feel for you. Um, you. But the point is really trying to get to minimum viable for businesses. Um, essentially, businesses do have to approach it as in they're also kind of a media company nowadays and have to produce so much and get themselves out there. But they don't have to do it in a way that is just 
incredibly voluminous. We have to think about effective for your audience on the right channel. And that's why we talk about really being strategic and being uh, intentional about what we're doing. Essentially, creating that content and putting yourself out there is a test for at least the first three months or so to have to see what actually works for your audience. And you might find you can actually get away with posting less and you don't achieve um, fewer results. We're all about the results. So we're always looking at what's the amount of DMs, the amount of inbounds, the amount of closed one business that we can attribute to social, et cetera, uh, when we're talking about social media. So we're really looking at the final results and that first three months is going to be that test. And so you might find that you actually have to produce more than what you've been doing. Um, and then you have to weigh it against what have I uh, generated from this. Content is that long-term game. And so we have to make sure that there at least is a good effort for at least a quarter. So we have some learnings from it and then can adjust from there on out. You said be thinking about minimum viable and where I've heard that is really in the technology space where they'll talk about an MVP, a minimum viable product. Can you finish that? Uh, what is that phrase in marketing? Is it minimum viable marketing or like what is that? Minimum viable what? Minimum viable effort to get effort. results. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah. And so when we when we talk about marketing, um, as I mentioned, we're full funnel. So some businesses don't see sales enablement as part of marketing, helping sales teams sell better or um, enabling their conversations, providing the content collateral and one pagers and leave behinds that sales needs in order to close a deal. A lot of companies see that as sales. Um, and then a lot of companies also see uh, the customer support, customer success, onboarding and implementation also as something separate. So we see it all as one. This is all essential to your customer experience. And so we are really about what's effective. And again, your audience will tell you what it is that they need to see. And this is where coming back to your audience is really key with the assets you've created, making sure that, um, hey, does this... Are we missing anything in our implementation guide? Um, you know, you find, do people still have questions when they look through your case studies? This is where that really, that feedback loop is essential um, in understanding what do they need? What does it need to look like? And how can I produce something that's effective without drowning them in stuff? Earlier, you said something about testing things out. Um, when I hear that, I think, you know, the typical marketing testing is A-B testing, right? Like, let's change one variable and let's see which one worked. Uh, let's go with that one and now let's change one variable again. Is When you say testing, is that what you're referencing or what's your version of testing? Yes, and. <laughs> so we, 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 of course... Uh, when a company uh, wants to get very sophisticated with their marketing and really has A-B testing capabilities, whether it's in the software or we can um, use certain certain tools um, that work or just even kind of old school, uh, we do run A-B tests where we're just changing one variable. But when I talk about testing, I mean trying to see what works because essentially uh, really Testing is trying something, looking at the results, looking at the numbers, your conversion ratios, your um, your visits, your Google Analytics goal attribution, all of that, making sure that the numbers support what you're doing, maybe changing one thing for a week, and then seeing what did that do. So we're both talking about testing for A-B testing and for limited time tests in the market. That makes sense. Uh, as far as a content repurposing SOP, I guess I have a question before I go there. My first question is, why do you choose to market on podcasts? Uh, Follow-up question, why did you choose Entrepreneurs United? Follow-up question, what is your content repurposing SOP for podcasts? So why podcasts? Why Entrepreneurs United? And what do you plan to do with this podcast as part of your repurposing SOP? Yeah, great questions. Great questions. So right now, podcasts are a test for us. So we're running a test in the market for uh, eight weeks where we're testing to see uh, our, our podcast a viable vehicle for what we do. 
Why Entrepreneurs United? Because I am first and foremost an entrepreneur. I've been one all my life, uh, have worked corporate and then often uh, been doing entrepreneurial things on the side. And so really, I, I love the the core message of what you do. I, I love the episodes that you've put out there. Uh, and really, it's about inspiring entrepreneurs to really do that what's in their heart and really live their passion, which is creating things from nothing. Uh, and that's what I love about entrepreneurs. And so, um, of course, Entrepreneurs United was a great fit for me. Thank um, you. <laughs> as to our SOP, our content repurposing SOP, uh, for podcasts, what we do is we do one blog post. Uh, we do uh, three pull quotes um, that go onto LinkedIn and Facebook uh, at different times. We utilize a, a longer quote uh, that goes into four different LinkedIn posts over the next month. Um, and I'm just trying to think what else. Um, and then, of course, the podcast itself, the promo uh, promo links, we put three out there. And then we also do a, um, a let's see, what's that one? <laughs> I'm blanking on, on what the last... But the last piece is it'll come to me in a moment. <laughs> no problem. So one blog post, three poll quotes that you put on LinkedIn and Facebook uh, and vary the timing. Um, just catching up with my notes here. And you have one longer quote that you put out four times over the next month on LinkedIn. And then you have three posts that specifically promote the entire podcast. Is that correct? Yes, yes. And the one thing that I was forgetting is that some podcasts do um, allow us access to the video. And so we will create uh, three video, shorter video clips when we're able to access the video. Got it. Thanks for that. Yeah, that's great. And and do you do all these posts from your LinkedIn page or your company's LinkedIn page? Because you mentioned earlier that the CEO should be posting from their page. Is that separate? Are those two different things, like the SOP that you just talked about is for your company, but then you also do your one every morning? Yes, yes. Okay. So um, the longer quotes that I mentioned, um, the one that becomes for LinkedIn posts, those mm -hmm. are uh, those are profile posts uh, that I do. Uh, the ones that are uh, more the visual, uh, the pull quotes, those ones go on our company page, and then I share them uh, as the CEO on my profile to get more reach. But again, the company page is really a billboard, so we just treat it as such. It's not something where we get a ton of engagement. We just mm -hmm. need to be out there. Yeah. I mean, Rich, you didn't know that we were getting free consultation. You didn't know that we were a test today. Yes. But Carly, how did we do? And, and how can we make sure this test is successful? How can our, our listeners learn more about what you do? Uh, you said mentioned earlier you have a gift for our audience. That's a good thing for us. Uh, tell us more about how our audience can learn more. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, you can always find me on LinkedIn. I, I'm there very frequently. Um, and you can find me on my website at revspark.com. That's two Vs so it could, because we rev up your revenue. Uh, and we have a free gift for listeners that is uh, Become a Content Machine, the Content Conversion System. So it actually has that uh, instructions for how to create your own content repurposing SOP in it. And we have it available at revspark.com forward slash entrepreneurs. So you just head on there after the episode, it will be there available for download and you too can become a content machine uh, to create your minimum viable content that speaks to your audience uh, wherever you need to show up. Carly, thanks so much. It was a great conversation. Learned a lot myself. I got to change my, my SOP a little bit. I got to change my LinkedIn strategy, but you know what? That's what we all want. We want, it, want people to know us, like us, trust us, want to do business with us and, and share what we have. So. Thank you very much. That was a great conversation. Thank you, Carly. Absolutely. Thank you so much, John and Rich. I'm really excited to have been here. Uh, I hope everybody listening uh, will take a, will take a chance at creating your content repurposing SOP. Um, so that will only help your business in the end. Please stick around for a few more minutes while Rich and I break down this episode. John, that conversation was just chocked full of hints and tips. But you know what? I actually wish we kept recording with her because one of the hints and tips that she gave us when we were in the green room of the podcast, not recording, was the on how to do B2B marketing and to put an ad on 
Facebook for your B2B marketing, but that ad on Facebook should direct people back to LinkedIn because people are on Facebook not to do business typically, but the ad for B2B directing them back to LinkedIn where they do do business. I thought that was a great tip and I couldn't pass up the opportunity to share it since we didn't happen to be recording at that time. Yeah, absolutely. And and this happened to me yesterday. I saw somebody who's like, hey, I used to see you on Facebook all the time uh, with your business posts. And I literally stopped putting business posts on Facebook because I figured business is on LinkedIn. Let's go to LinkedIn. And she brought up a really good point. She's like, if, if people are connected with you and you got something special to share, if it is business related, just point them back to LinkedIn, but do post on Facebook still what you're doing because a lot of people you do do business with, you connect with personally as well. So I uh, love that tip from Carly. You know, Rich, the, the, the th- if I had to say the big three of this conversation, and we didn't talk about it with her, but I, I, I boil it down to this. What is your content repurposing SOP? What's yes. your strategy? Which then drives what your digital marketing strategy is, right? What market are you going after? How often are you posting? Where are you posting? Are you boosting and paying your ads? Yes or no? Which leads to number three, your sales management conversion mindset. And I love what Carly talked about. Way too many companies are like, okay, you do marketing, I'll do sales. You just get me leads and then I'll take it from there and I'll make sure it happens. In today's world, that's not the way it works. You want to really target your market so you're you're hitting the t- prospects you're looking for, but you want to have the sales process built into your marketing strategy to help your success ratio on the backside. I think that was a really good way of putting it. Content SOP, digital marketing strategy, sales mindset conversion. Correct me if I'm wrong. I believe you're a Gary V fan. Yes or no? I'm a fan of his content. Yeah. You're a fan of his content. What is your take on what she had to say? Like, hey, it's not 2008 anymore. Getting yeah. 64 pieces of content a day, like that doesn't work. And she even said, hey, and if that's your customer who loves getting 64 pieces of content today, like, uh, you know, good luck to you, basically. I forget what word she used. It was much more kind than that. Yeah. But uh, I'm curious as to your thoughts on that, since you are a Gary Vee fan. Yeah, I, I think there's a big difference between B2B and B2C. If you want to become the next um, singer who sells the most amount of uh, records this year, there's not even records anymore, but you know what I mean, like the, whatever, <laughs> And you want to be invited to these red carpet events and you want to be this and that. Being an influencer in today's social media world means you are producing content nonstop. You want to be the next Kim Kardashian. You want to be the next Gary Vaynerchuk. You want to be the next person of popularity that everybody goes to. Produce content. Like there's no tomorrow. Just keep going. Hit record when you're walking down the street and spread out a bunch of stuff because people want to listen to it if in your target audience. Okay, I get it. But if you're the CEO of a business or you're in the B2B world and you're trying to attract professionals to your content, they find that flat out annoying. Mm-hmm. Uh, you want to hit them with thought leadership. I loved her formula of four times a week. It's something thought leadership. You're not trying to promote what you're doing. It's thought leadership content. And then take that one time a week, so one-fifth or 20%, and promote what you do. People will accept that. But if you're just trying to go out there and all five posts you're putting out every week is, hey, buy my, buy me, buy me, buy like, it just doesn't work. So, so I guess to answer your question, it depends on what your strategy is. You know what's funny? Uh, you're reminding the four thought leadership and one self-promotion. Uh, I... I read recently, and I may get the exact racial wrong, but I'm pretty sure uh, Shaquille O'Neal said the way he uses social media is for every uh, every five times. So he has four posts to make you laugh and then one to sell his product. Yeah. And he just flat out said that. Like he tries to be entertained. And have you seen some of his stuff? No. Like he is funny. He's hilarious how he does. And he just puts himself out there. Like he makes you want to consume more of his content. And then he hits you with, he's going to sell something he makes some money on, but he's a giver first. And his thought leadership happens to be humor on how he goes about it. So I think when we talk thought leadership, it'd be very easy as an entrepreneur to think about, you know, an industry expert. And it's always serious all the time. 
uh, let Shaquille O'Neal be our guide that uh, thought leadership can just be being funny. If that happens to be your brand and it fits, it doesn't need to be thought leadership is coming from a, uh, you know, place of knowledge every single time. Yeah, no, I love that example, which is just be present. I, I think you need to be present and you need to be present from the CEO's profile. I love that tip, right? Which is not just from your company page, you need to, to be visible out there and you need to provide some thought leadership or whatever that may be. I think the one, the, the biggest takeaway, I, I have to repeat it again, because it, it took me a couple of attempts of hearing her, then hearing you to catch it, which is the best way to beat the, the LinkedIn algorithm yes. is to post consistently in the morning, know what time you schedule HootSuite to launch or whatever, because you can program these things out for a whole week. But know that between 6 and 6.20, you should go around and comment and like other people's content around your subject matter or prospect list. And that will help drive your algorithm. In addition to that, wait one hour before commenting on your own post to try and get some more traction. Those are just uh, you know small tips that I had no idea. Uh, wow. But it takes effort, Rich. You said minimum viable effort, but it takes effort. It takes that consistency and that effort to have that sales mindset in social media strategy. It's not a post it and forget it and then wonder why nothing's happening. You got to work it. Now, just curious, because one of the things in your summary there, which was excellent, you did leave out the like should not be a thumbs up because that's part of the algorithm. I'm just curious from you personally, uh, how many times do you do like the heart emoji or the applause, like, I'm not, I don't know if I've ever hit those, ever. Do you uh, use those other emojis or do you just use a thumbs up, which is not the thing to do? Rich, uh, uh, I do not um, like and or comment on enough stuff when I see it. I'll, mm -hmm. be, I'll admit that, number one. Number two, uh, when I do, I try not to do the thumbs up. Hmm. Not because I think it's going to help my algorithm. I just think it's boring. I've never once for a minute thought that by hitting that, it doesn't help me. But by hitting the clapper, it helps. I Not once. But I always feel like if 99% of people have a thumbs up, why not put a heart? Why not put a laughing emoji? Why not use it something else? So I was doing it more out of just, let me be creative here. Which one meets the most versus the boring thumbs up? So if you're seeing this post on LinkedIn or Facebook, do not hit the thumbs up. Give us something else. John, I'm going to give you a clapper to what you just shared. <laughs>